Listening to your old friends Ron and Don on the Ron and Ra- on the Ron and Don Radio Network, man. <laughs> hey, you guys! What's going on? Welcome to episode three forty four now of the Ron and Don Show, and we are live from the Les Schwab Studios. What is up, Ron and Don Nation? Yeah, coming up on the Ron and Don Show. First of all, happy holidays to everybody. Here we go, right? And you've probably been doing what Ron and I've been doing, watching this six hour documentary on the Beatles. And we're finding out it wasn't Yoko Ono that broke up the Beatles. Now we know who did, and we got a lot to say about it. Also, let's talk about college sports a little bit. I want to find out where Ron lands. When you look at all the money and all the benefits that were just thrown at a young coach by the name of Lincoln Riley to leave Oklahoma and to head to USC, what does that mean for the Pac-12? And what does it mean for college sports in general when a team buys their new coach a jet they pay off two of your homes in fact they give you five hundred thousand dollars more than those homes are worth and then you look at the cash cars and stars on top of that it's really incredible story before we get to that though let's get to this i thought that this was very interesting chris chris cuomo from cnn has just been suspended indefinitely Why has he been suspended indefinitely? Because evidently he was counseling his brother who was allegedly sexually harassing women as the governor, though he was still the governor of New York State during the pandemic. Lots of women now come forward. And evidently, Chris Cuomo Cuomo now, there have been lots and lots of materials that have been leaked to the press. And as they look at these materials, they find out, wow, he was doing more here than just being a brother uh, to his brother, or was he? Should Chris Cuomo right now be suspended from CNN? Uh, what say you? We might see this differently. I think he should be fired from CNN, not just suspended. And the reason why, for me, is he was using his media contacts at CNN and the clout he had as a journalist with a capital J at CNN to try and get out ahead of the latest gossip or things that were going to break on this story and to mitigate it before it happened. So that to me is a fireable offense. Now, the interesting thing though, that I'd love to talk to you about is Cuomo said when this story was developing and he was doing his show on CNN, I can't be objective on this story. He said this on the air. I cannot be objective about this story because this is my brother and family comes first. So that was what his thing was. And CNN gave him wide berth for that. They said, we understand So we're not going to funnel a bunch of stories to come onto your program about this topic. We're going to respect what you just said. We CNN's like, we feel like you're being honest with us that this is difficult for you and and you don't want to be in the position to have to render judgment on your brother because you have information that, that came to you because he is your brother. Fair enough. Then though, but that's not what he did. You can read the story to get all the details about what Chris Cuomo did. And so here's my question to you. I don't think family is first in this scenario. The information that was coming out about the women 
that had specific allegations that were the subordinates of of his brother. Very specific. Um, basically, everyone believed them. It wasn't there wasn't a gray area of like, oh, I was single. She it wasn't Aziz Ansari where he's like, hey, I was single. She was single. We ended up back in my place and things got physical and it was just a little bit awkward. It wasn't that. It was a married man groping people that worked for him. Oh, the governor wasn't married. Governor wasn't married at that time. Governor's single. Yeah, he's not married. So, not that that makes it any better, but he was not, so certainly not married. Women that were subordinate to him. He had a girlfriend and then she ended up leaving him. So. Classic sexual harassment in the workplace. So I, I disagree with Chris Cuomo. If I'm in that scenario and let, let's say either roles, let's say that you're, you and I have worked together for decades and credible allegations come out against me. I wouldn't expect for you to overlook those and defend me at all costs. That's a, see, that's a great point. His brother put him in a very hard place and his brother should have said, you know what? I've made some mistakes here. I'm not going to drag you into this little brother. And uh, Family can come first, but uh, taking care of your family comes first. And go ahead and get that paycheck every two weeks from CNN. Here's, here's the way I see this, though. I don't see him as a journalist. I don't. I see him as an entertainer. And, and CNN is very culpable in this because they're looking at his ratings. And ever since they moved him, because he joined CNN in 2013, he came over from primetime. He's on CBS, NBC, all these other shows. He came over in 13. They put him in the, in the morning slot in 2013, and he bombed. He was an absolute bomb, and they didn't know what to do with him. What they found out, though, when he wasn't just reading the news, but he started giving his opinion – uh, that people were more interested in that, especially women. Women love Chris Cuomo. I have lots of female friends in their 40s and 50s that love him. They tune in every night. They think he's gorgeous. He's handsome. He's smart. He's witty, all this stuff. And so then they, they, they put him in the, 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 the afternoon, evening slot, and they said, you know what? We want you to go up against Bill O'Reilly. And Chris Cuomo is not a dumb guy, right? He's an attorney. And so he did. And all of a sudden, you have this Bill O'Reilly audience that loves it when somebody gets in there and gets rough, rough, rough and tumble. And then Bill O'Reilly is out because of sexual allegations right. against Bill O'Reilly, right? So now here comes Chris Cuomo, and it's not like the audience uh, just grew exponentially over at CNN. A lot of the audience from Fox News came over. They sampled him, and they liked him. At the end of the day... This guy is not Edward R. Murrow. He's not. He's not Walter Cronkite. He's not. He's given opinion. He's entertaining people with the news. And I think we need to step back and ask ourselves, because we see such division in this country right now. And who, who is creating this division? Because I have so many people come at me all the time, and they blame it on the media. And I'm like, well, I was in the media for a long time, and I didn't see myself as someone that was dividing. I saw myself as somebody that was trying to bring people together. But when you're trying to bring people together, that doesn't necessarily get the headlines, right? Like the Lakewood Four that were murdered in the Friends of Coffee Shop. You and I were a very big part of this story uh, when we raised $3.7 million for the 11 children that were left behind of those four officers that were murdered. So that anniversary just happened, and we swore as a community that we'd never forget. And what's interesting is everybody forgot. I bet you forgot. Uh, we just forget. We, we, we forget about things. Uh, and the reason we forget about things is 
There's nothing juicy anymore about that story, right? 12 years ago, we could find out a lot of juice. There's nothing juicy about that anymore. It's one of the reasons why people don't get their information from the CDC about what's really going on with COVID-19. They let the Chris Cuomo's of the world decide how they're going to feel about it. Then, then, then these entertainers get politicians into the mix. Politicians have figured out, you know, the way I get elected is I divide people. Politicians that bring people together and, and people say, well, Lincoln brought people together. No, he didn't. He started a civil war. That's how you get elected is you divide people, you divide and conquer. And what we have now, what we have now is we have people that think the news is brought to them by Bill O'Reilly, who, who used to be the anchor, quote unquote, on a current affair. He was an anchor on a current affair. What is a current affair? We know what a current affair is. And then and, and then he took that same act, because that's all that is, is an act, and he brought it to the airways. We, we were never journalists. I'm not a trained journalist. I was a trained entertainer on a rock station, on a top 40 station, on a sports radio station. And then I went over and I said, I wonder how this is going to work on News Talk. And it worked great. We had some of the greatest ratings in the country. I'm not a journalist, though. I'm someone that's giving you opinion about the news. That's all Chris Cuomo is doing. CNN right now is saying he's suspended indefinitely. Number one, he's their star. That's why they didn't fire him. They can't. He's the only star that they have right now. Number two, they want to see if anything else is going to come out. Is anybody, anything? Because this is the second round of information. So, the, so they've already talked to him. They said, hey, look, you'll be back. You're still getting paid. But we need you to just kind of hang out, see if anything comes. And then when this all blows over, he will come out to me a culpa. And then, bam, he'll be back on CNN pretending to share the news with us again, which is really not the news. It's his opinion about the news. If Don O'Neill was head of CNN, what would you do? Yeah, uh, it's, 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 it's not a news show. It's not a news show. So uh, I don't have a problem with it because I don't take Chris Cuomo that seriously. Maybe other people do, and you think he's a journalist and a newsman. I don't. I think he's some kind of douche on TV that is giving uh, opinion about things that are in the headlines today. So if you don't believe me, just go back and look at the tape of him when he had COVID-19, and he's locked in his basement, and he's about to die. That's when his ratings went through the roof. Chris Cuomo is not the problem. We're the problem in the way that we consume news and the way we're entertained by it, the way we allowed it to divide us. Politicians see that. And that's why all the good politicians, all those good folks, they don't run for office anymore. You see them, even the Republican side, walking away from politics in droves because they're like, hey, this is not what I signed up for. This is goddamn ridiculous. We'll see you on the other side of this. You can just tell that they uh, that they're just real genuine guys and, and care about uh, who they work with and just feel like we you know we got we got some some more friends now. It truly is one of life's biggest transactions. If you're downsizing, upsizing, or right sizing, Ron and Don can help you buy, sell, or invest in real estate. It all starts with a Ron and Don sit down. Hi, I'm Ollie. Hi, I'm Emmy. Hi, I'm John Greenland. I'm Lauren Greenland. Hi, my name is uh, Anthony Kroll. Hi, I'm Gretchen. And I'm Byron. And we sat down with, with Ron and Don. They were more prepared. They paid way more attention to detail. Um, and then they just came in with a, with a lot more knowledge and were able to set those expectations up a lot better 
than um, some of the previous uh, realtors that we worked with. So, I mean, I was I was extremely pleased with uh, the the entire the, the sit down, the, the experience, and and the results. Of course, there was a friendship that developed, and a and a, and a trust. Mm-hmm. You know, I would say a trust, and then you know. We yeah. have, we love them. It's been a hell of a lot of fun for one thing. I see them as as friends now. I feel like they've made me feel part of this community and knowing that, you know, Dawn's just down the street is is comforting. <laughs> <laughs> we totally consider Ron and Dawn friends of ours now and we do miss working with them. It was intense there for a little bit, but it's an experience that we'll always remember and have and um, and now lifelong friends. It's the Ron and Don Nation. That's right. <laughs> Don't forget, when you're ready to sit down and start your real estate journey, schedule your time with the guys at ronanddonsitdown.com. Sign up for the Nation News at ronanddonradio.com. All right, you guys, welcome back. As you heard, we're licensed brokers at Windermere. If you need us, just reach out. In fact, you can do a sit-down with us. It's about a 45-minute one-on-one with Ron and Don. And uh, let's talk about you buying, selling, or investing as we end 2021 and get ready for a great 2022. What will you do in 2022? It all starts with the Ron and Don sit-down at ronanddonsitdown.com. Get signed up for that today. This, this This is kind of interesting. As we look at college sports, and there's been such an argument for a long time that you don't want to pay college athletes. And while we haven't been paying college athletes, and of course, uh, some things are beginning to change in college sports, and we're beginning to see sports stars that will get paid for endorsements, for instance. So that's new. In the meantime, it's mind-blowing and mind-numbing what college coaches are getting paid these days. And it's also mind-numbing when you look at the fact that you you have a college coach right now at the University of Notre Dame that has a chance to win a national championship. And Coach Kelly has been there for 12 years. And you know what he just did? In the middle of a run for a national championship, he just walked away from the Notre Dame job, which was the most coveted job in all the sports. And he went to LSU. And he said, you know what? I don't care if we're in a run for a, a national title because down at LSU, not only are going to pay me more, but I'm going to be in the SEC and I'm going to have an opportunity to recruit players in Texas and Alabama and Mississippi because up here in Notre Dame, and it's one of the reasons why Jim Harbaugh from Michigan, he'll go down and he'll take the whole Michigan football team in the summer and they'll do camps down in the southern part of the United States because that's where a lot of those five-chip blue player, uh, blue blue players are, five-chip blue players. So we have that with Notre Dame. Then you have Coach Riley leaving Oklahoma, headed to USC. One of the reasons why the University of Washington used to be so good is because Don James could get on a plane, and he could go down to California, and he could recruit great players. You can't do that anymore because a lot of times – Oregon beat you to it. Even Oregon State beat you to that. And people wonder why the University of Washington has become really, really, uh, they're horrible. They're a horrible football team. And it's because they can't recruit in the same way that a USC can. So here you come. You have Coach Riley. 
He's leaving Oklahoma. He has a top 10 team. He's going to USC. Stories are out today that he's going to get paid somewhere between 110 and $125 million. Also, he owns two homes in Norman, Oklahoma. They say that this story is being refuted, but it looks like uh, USC is going to step in and buy those homes, and they say they're going to pay $500,000 over what those homes are worth, so like a million-dollar bonus there. On top of that, he and his family, anytime they need a jet, they got a jet. Early on, they were saying that they bought him a jet. Now they're saying, well, he has access to a jet anytime that he wants a jet. Cash, cars, stars, USC, you name it. And if you do well at USC like Pete Carroll did, who knows? Maybe you'll be caught, maybe you'll be coaching the Seattle Seahawks uh, sometime soon because I hear that that job might be open. Ron, what say you when you look at all these college players? A lot of these college players uh, come from very poor backgrounds. A lot of these college players are African-American. And for so long, we have heard you cannot pay these players. But now you take a lot of these coaches who are mostly white and the alumni is stepping forward and saying, hey, whatever we got to pay to have a winner here, we have a very large endowment and let's go out and do what we got to do to win football games and win at all costs. That really is the message here. How do you walk away? How do you have any kind of integrity as a coach? All these men, young men that you've recruited come play for me and then in the midst of of a national championship run, you walk away and say, I'm going to LSU, and you let your team know it in a tweet. Yeah, I mean, it's disgusting. You, you set that up well. I, so here, here's the other side for people that don't follow collegiate sports. The spirit of the NCAA, if you take out all the hypocrisy and all the stuff that Don just said, if you boiled it down to going back 100 years, let's say, what the NCAA wanted to do uh, was say, we're going to be amateur athletes. And we're also going to have variety. So we're going to have a bunch of different sports. We're going to have a rugby team. We're going to have ice hockey. We're going to have volleyball. We're going to have baseball, basketball, football. We're going to have all these sports. And then there's going to be a certain number of scholarships if the, if the university can afford it. And these student athletes are going to get a better education and we are going to provide them school sports. And then we're going to compete with other schools uh, in athletics as a life lesson, as a way to get an education and also compete against other schools. And it was kind of a gentleman's game. It was sort of a, a friendly competition, if you will. Like there was not these huge sums of money on the line. So as these athletics grew over time, then Title IX came in and they said, well, if you're going to have all of these sports for men, we need to have all these sports for women as well. If you're going to have uh, the men's NCAA Final Four basketball tournament, we need to have the women's NCAA Final Basketball tournament. And if you're going to give away scholarships for the men's golf team, then you have to give away scholarships for the women's golf team. You get my point. And so there was pushback on that. The, at the time, there was a lot of people that said, this is ridiculous. Men's sports are the driver. And hell no, we don't want to take a part of our athletic budget and, and give it over to a bunch of women's teams that no one's going to go see. No one's showing up at the women's swim meet. No fans are coming out to see women's lacrosse. Like they, they don't draw any fans and nobody's buying any of the gear. We can't sell any tickets. So we don't want to do that. 
in the the there was a court case, Title IX, that said, no, you have to do that. You have to pay for women's sports as well. So that's the dynamic of the background. And what the NCAA never wanted to do is to say football and basketball, men's, men's football, football and basketball, basketball, they're the they're the crown jewels. Everybody else, you're has been. They're the only ones that make money. You're nobody. They're the ones that make money. Right. So, but the NCAA, and I get the political pressure to do that. There's political pressure to say, well, why is this 18-year-old? You're saying that this 18-year-old that happens to be able to catch a football is more valuable than this 18-year-old woman that can swim fast? And the answer is yes, but nobody wants to admit that. The answer from an economic standpoint is yes. That guy that can catch a football, the man, or that six foot ten high school senior that can slam dunk a basketball is monetarily for that university worth more because of the TV contract than the yeah. woman that can swim fast or the female gymnast or even for a male wrestler. You you name it. And so the NCAA is in a tough spot because if they admit this hierarchy and they lean into it. They're opening themselves up for a lot of lawsuits and they're opening themselves up to say, how dare you say NCAA that the quarterback for an SEC football team is more valuable to the university than this other student. But that's the reality. So they've, they've contorted themselves into this non winnable position where the coaches get paid, the schools get paid, the networks get paid, the uh, merchandising companies get paid. The shoe companies get paid. The only people that don't get paid are the athletes. And people go, oh, well, they get a scholarship. And they get free room and board. And they get free books. That is so... It's we, not compensatory. It's not compensatory for what they do. Yeah. And in fact, you can get suspended from the NCAA for signing your own jersey. You can get suspended from the NCAA for... Uh, there have been cases where uh, uh athlete accepted a suit to go to a funeral from a booster got uh, accepted a meal uh, when they were hungry. Yeah, and Johnny Manziel got in a lot of trouble because he had footballs and he would go, his dad had a little, uh, uh, just a storage shed. And he would go in the storage shed and he would sign these footballs and they would sell these footballs on the side. Uh, and he got a lot of, he, he got a lot of trouble for doing that. And so, so. I, in an unpopular opinion, I think that, we need to get over this thing, the, the, the snowflake mentality of everybody has the same value. Everybody has the same worth. Like you are worthy if you're a human being. So it is just a humanitarian philosophical stance. Everybody has the same worth. It comes down Not to, everybody has the same value, though. It, so if, 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 financial value. So financial you know, value. Yeah, because because that's of the, what I mean. Value. Because of the TV contracts that you can sign for men's football and, men, and and like men's baseball, men's baseball doesn't make any money. If you have twenty two varsity sports at your university, to your point, nineteen of those are losers. Two of those are going to make money. And you even saw at the University of Washington a number of years ago where they just started cutting out programs. Stanford started cutting out programs. USC is going to have to cut out programs. Instead of dipping into their billions and billions of dollars of, of yeah. uh, endowment. So, yeah. so, so this yeah, is the hypocrisy. I, I, I don't think a coach should be allowed to leave that university uh, and until the season's over. And until, because because what, what is happening this year, the, the, the kid who is leaving California – to go be the next five-star quarterback at Oklahoma, because that's where Coach Riley is, has now said, I'm no longer going to Oklahoma. And guess what? He just signed up with USC 
because that's where Coach Riley is. We'll see you on the other side of this. That's ridiculous. Hey, it's Rondon here with Mitch Weeks. He's the official mortgage guy of the Rondon Nation, Mitch.loans. Mitch, is it ever too early to start this process? Because I had a buyer here recently that we're about to put an offer in on, on their new house, and they show up and go, what do you think of my new truck? And I was like, what do you mean you got a new truck? Isn't it great? I got a new truck. It's like, oh, why did you do that right before you're going to buy a house? They just they hadn't talked to you yet. They didn't know that was a bad thing to do. It is a bad thing to do. Any financing of large items is a bad idea during the closing process. Um, so it's never too early to talk to someone like me and talk about what it means to finance a house and what are the shortcomings of doing things like buying a truck close to closing. <laughs> yeah, so go to Mitch.loans right now. Uh, Mitch will help you get pre-qualified, pre-underwritten, and also save half a percent on your new loans. Mitch.loans, NMLS, 169-1573. Hey, guys, welcome back to the Ron and Don Show. Again, live from the Les Schwab Studios. And don't forget, they're collecting toys at all 84 locations now. So stop by Les Schwab Tire Center, get your tires checked just in time for winter. Make sure you're road trip ready and drop off a toy. Is uh, They collect toys now through the middle of December. All right. Hey, uh, it's kind of interesting. I was watching <laughs> I was watching Paul from the Beatles, and all I have to do is say Paul. In fact, he says he doesn't give uh, autographs anymore. He'll take a picture with someone because he says, you know what? You know who I am, and I know who I am. So he doesn't sign autographs, but he'll take a picture. It was really interesting because we, we heard about this six-hour documentary that was coming out, and you could tell that he had already seen the documentary because in a lot of his interviews on, on television, the revelation that, hey, you know what? I, I'm, not, I'm not the sole one to blame here. I didn't break up the Beatles. It, it, it might have been John, and it surely wasn't Yoko Ono. Uh, let's talk about Get Back a little bit. Have you seen it? And, and how come guys like Ringo and Paul have said, hey, when I watched Get Back the first time years ago, I hated it. Uh, I hated the way we were toward each other. I hated the fact that it looked like Paul broke up the band and Yoko Ono broke up the band. I hated the fact and the way that that the tape was cut that it looked like we didn't even like one another. And 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 they went down this rabbit hole of following this storyline. It wasn't really true. Uh, what have you seen as you have sat down to watch this uh, six-hour documentary? So if people aren't aware, it's on Disney+. Plus. It's directed by... Uh, Peter Jackson, who did Lord of the Lord of the Rings trilogy. And so he was given access at, at Apple Corporation, which is the Beatles publishing house in England. They hired people back uh, when they're doing the Let It Be album to film. They, they were going to write the album and do an intimate concert in two weeks. If you can even imagine, like nowadays, it takes you an artist two weeks to find a comfortable chair, like to write an entire album, record, rehearse the record, then record a live album uh, in, in a, about a two-week period. So they hired this film crew to come in, and they rented a big uh, warehouse space, a, a rehearsal hall, and they basically were writing these songs, and they had 56 hours of film footage. And back then when they did the rooftop concert, they, they, they did a televised event with that, and they included several minutes of this. They boiled all that down to a couple minutes, as you said. But so, And then they, they put it in a vault. So this film has been sitting in a vault for almost 50 years. They finally uh, uh, got together with everybody and gave everything to Peter Jackson. And he has spent four years going through and figuring out how do I edit this all together in four years? 
And so that's what this this program is about. And it is it, it is fascinating. There are moments that, to me, move a little bit slow, but it's fascinating when you hear these famous songs uh, like Get Back and it being written, like you're literally watching them write a song. Uh, and these very, very, what now to me seem like, hymns they seem like they've been around for a thousand years but you're watching them be created and i will give this to the the paul theories paul and john were such a team and had so much history paul was 15 i think john was 16 or 17 when they first met uh 14 and, and 16 and then george was 13 they were 14 16 he was 13 and That's so right. the the team that emerged the the forces were paul and john and if you in there, the famously every song that, from their side says Lennon and McCartney, uh, even if one or the other wrote the entire song, they put their name on it. George's songs are by George. Here comes the sun by George Harrison. So there was this definite George against uh, Paul and John. And so Paul comes off in the documentary, at least the, I've only watched the first episode so far, but Paul comes off as very pragmatic. He's like, we have a deadline we need to get this done. George, don't play that. Play this. Ringo, play. I need this. That, and he, he's orchestrating. And you got to have that in a band. I right. Mean, John, I want you to do this. You got to have it. So he's very, um, you can see George going, dude, get it. Like, just tell me what you want me to play. He's, he's being exacerbated over and over. And I get that from George. Um, and, 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 and if you look at it uh, and, and make fun of Kiss if you want. Uh, they changed the world, and 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 that's the relationship though between Gene Simmons, the bass player, and Paul Stanley. And Ace Freely was always on the outside, and there are three different drummers, including Peter Chris. They were always on the outside, and Peter Chris had his one song, "Beth, I Hear You Calling," just like Ringo had his one song, "Yellow Submarine." And every time he comes onto a talk show, here he comes, "Peace, Love," and it's "Yellow Submarine." And you're right when you saw those two work together, I I I thought. We would see more anger and rage. I saw a lot of joy, oh, fun, they were goofing and, off and, half and the time. Yeah, and collaboration. And it was, it's hilarious. It's hilarious. Yeah. And so yeah. the totally goofing off have that language. Yoko just sits there silently. She does. Like she's not a, a ruckus. She's hanging out. Linda came around and she sat there uh, quietly. Yoko and Linda sat there together. Linda yeah. was doing more things to distract than Yoko was. Linda's yeah. around taking pictures of everybody. Yeah. And so that that's a non-start. And you can tell the genuine affection that John and Yoko have. So that that's a bunch of crap in that to say Yoko broke him up. Um, George Harrison's the one that left yeah. first. And and I can see why. And then they had to get him to come back, right? And, so and finish it. Yeah. So yeah, it's a very interesting documentary. It's and Ringo, to his credit, played the drums. That you know what they asked Dave Grohl about that. Howard Stern was interviewing Dave Grohl about being in Nirvana, and, and he said because because Dave then talked about creating all this music from the Foo Fighters and and the original Foo Fighters songs were 14 songs and all the instruments and all the music was created by Dave Grohl. Uh, but he knew that if he just introduced the music as Dave Grohl, the, the uh, Dave Grohl, the former drummer of Nirvana, that no one would have listened to it. So he said, you know what? I'm just going to do this Foo Fighters thing, pretend to be a band. People aren't going to know that I'm in it connected to Nirvana or whatever. Maybe they'll just love the music and they did and it took off. And what, and what Dave says, he says, you know, when you're the drummer, you, you just, you have to know your place. 
And it's a very important place. And that place is behind the drum kit. And that place is just, you're going to set the beat down and you're just going to drive the beat and you're going to drive it, drive it, drive it. And you're going to sit there and drive the beat and you're going to let everybody else around you create whatever is they're creating. And the last thing he said that you want to do as a drummer is go to uh, someone like Kurt Cobain, like Kurt Cobain and go, Hey, I got this song. It's called Yellow Submarine. Right. Hey, I got this song. It's called it's Get called By With A Little Help For Myself. Or, hey, I got this song. He said when he was in Nirvana, he knew his place, and his place was was to play the drums. And then you hear Taylor Hawkins, who is the drummer now for the Foo Fighters, and they'll interview him around Dave, and Taylor does the same thing. He's like, you know what, dude? I just play the drums, and that's all I want to do is play the drums, and that's my spot in this band. And and think about what it's like to be Taylor, because when they interview Taylor, Taylor actually still thinks that Dave Grohl is a better drummer than he is. Because he is. But he's but he said that Dave never makes him feel that way. Has never right. made him feel. But at the same time, when when they're together and they're creating music. Dave has to be the driver on that. And 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 R- Ringo at times is asking what the name of the song is. Love that. He doesn't even know. Like these are classic Beatles. He's like, what, what, what's that one called? But he would ju- he would just jump in. Play the drums. He would just jump in and lay the beat down and start playing. And and so I think I think the reason why Paul is so relieved, sometimes like think about uh some of the things. Like I, I have a friend that 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 is coming here that I went to high school with. In fact, they're 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 coming here today and they're gonna stay in my day too. And it'll be very, really interesting to have conversations about their perception of me and my perception of them back when we were high school compared to what was really going on because it's always different in our minds and especially with their youth and all the drugs that those guys have been taking all the time and all the traveling, all the fun, just their perception of what happened 18, 19, 20 years old. And then the way it was framed by the media and then what they really saw when they sat down and they watched it for the first time. And Ringo tells you and Paul tells you that they were totally relieved because the way that, that it was framed and, and, it, and Paul really felt like he had broken up the Beatles. And he said after watching that, he's relieved and there was so much joy and there was so much love. And it, it was it was good to see that. It was so if you're a Beatles fan at all, you have to watch it because the second part of the first episode, Paul is trying to figure out Let It Be. And he does it in downtime. So everyone's going to go get a sandwich. You hear him in the background, just like the chords <laughs> coming together. Yeah. And he doesn't know the words. And then one of the, the people on working on the film comes over and he's like, am I standing? Is we sitting? Are we moving? Like, should there be weather in this song? Like clouds? And like, he can't put his finger quite on it. Yeah. And so like, John will be talking about a set design in the background. It's like, like you hear Paul off in the corner working on Let It Be. And it's like, that's one of the most famous songs in popular music history. But have you heard him tell that story before? The way that he tells that story and the way he remembers it was totally different. Very different. He, he, remembers, he said he had a dream. He he rem- I had day. a dream. The song came to me. I woke up. I wrote it in nine minutes. That's the way he has told the story his whole life. But you know what? They always say when we played football, the eye in the sky don't lie. And and I believe that that's the way that he, because the, the song was about his mom and his mom came to him in a dream. But but when you see him trying to work through the music of that song, he had the basic chord structure. Yeah, so maybe that did come. That's in nine part minutes. of it. But the rest of it didn't come to him no, in nine he minutes. On it. And the collaboration that that those guys had, I thought I thought was extraordinary and really and, cool. And how do you, if you're George, I, I thought about this. What are the chances that three musical geniuses 
come out of the same town in Liverpool. Is genius a byproduct of them together? Well, I thought what was really interesting is is those guys years before had decided we're not going to tour anymore. The reason they decided they weren't going to tour anymore, and how many times have you heard this from a band? The crowds are too loud. You can't hear the music. Uh there are so many, when we go on the Ed Sullivan show, there's so many girls that are screaming at us that they're, they're screaming over the music and people can't enjoy it. So then they decided we're going to take all the time that we would spend on the road in an arena somewhere doing a concert. And we're going to sit here and we're going to write the music. And, and you could, you can hear that in the music that the, 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 the music becomes more complex and really more brilliant in a lot of ways and then you see how brilliant George Harrison really was as well. So we'll see you on the other side of this. Hey, you guys, thanks for listening to the Ron and Don Show. It means a lot to us. Three things that you could do for us as we head into the holiday season. Number one, would you stop by a Les Schwab Tire Center, drop off a toy, uh, and just tell them that Ron and Don sent you, all right? Or Santa Claus sent you. Or Ebenezer Scrooge, whoever it is. Just drop off a toy this holiday season. They're collecting toys now through the middle of December. Also... Don't forget to go to ronandonsitdown.com if you have a friend, somebody in your family that needs to sit down with us because they're thinking about, I'm going to buy, sell, buy an investment property, start an Airbnb, whatever that is, ronandonsitdown.com, and let's do a sit down as we head into 2022. And then also hit subscribe. When you hit subscribe, it means that the Ron and Don show will just automatically show up on the player of your device. A lot of you guys use Apple. So... We'll just show up on your Apple device every time there's a new show, and they drop most of the time, every Monday, every Wednesday, and every Thursday. Finally, the Nation News, we write you about well, probably three times a month. When you go to ronanddonsitdown.com, you can get signed up for the news today. Head up, shoulders back. We'll see you next time. Olay on the Ron and Don Radio Network. Now keep your head up and your shoulders back, and keep blowing that trumpet, and we'll see you next time. Only! 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 On the Ron Don Radio Network.